Welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. Philly coming off a close 114-109 loss to the NBA's best Phoenix Suns. It was a pretty good game. A mix of good, bad, and actually great at times for the Sixers as well. We'll jump into all that. But before we do, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Don't forget to check us out online as well at libertyballers.com. we got tons of stuff coming at you over the next couple of days with the NBA trade deadline just under now. What are we at, Jackson? What, 45 hours away, roughly? Is that what it is? Is my math off? Uh, I think we're closer to, to 41, right? It'd be we're 10 Eastern. It's 3 Eastern on, on, on Thursday, so... My math is correct. I think we're about 41 hours. So we're getting closer and closer to a day and a half. Well, I'm not going to lie, Jackson. I, I, I never did better than like a C in math all the way through high school. Definitely not my strong point. So thank you for correcting me there. But uh, uh, Jackson Frank joining me on this one. Jackson, this was a really good game between the Sixers and Suns. The first half, high level of basketball. Lots of things to like ultimately came down to the final few minutes. The Sixers were up 199. Phoenix went on an 11-3 run and then kind of hung on from there. But there's also a close point. Sixers down 110-107. Joel Embiid took a shot that looked like, you know, that meme video where that guy's just chucking up shots in the gym and it just hit the backboard because that was an <laughs> ugly. I mean, I don't, it wasn't his fault. He just, it, the shot clock was running out. Didn't have much of a look in terms of the offensive set there. And then, of course, he comes up with a really nice steal on Chris Paul. Ends up throwing that uh, easy outlet pass. Not even outlet, but, you know, close enough to Seth Curry, who was kind of streaking up the court. Wound up going out of bounds, and that was kind of the difference in this one. But uh, when you look at this, what frustrated you most watching this from a Sixers perspective? Because, again, this was a game they really, really, I think, in my opinion, should have won. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the stretch without both Tyrese Max and Joel Embiid in the second half uh, did the men, you know, uh, trying to find it here officially, but MB left the game of 207 to go in the third. The Sixers were up 79-75. Uh, Maxi had already previously exited about a half a minute earlier. Um, so then for that little stretch to end the third, they're running a Furcon, Matisse, Danny Green, George Nying on a Drummond lineup. Uh, and then to start the fourth, Tobias comes in for Matisse. Uh, same thing they did in the end of the first half. And Tobias, to his credit, was very good in this game. Um, but they played all the way until... The 8 14 mark of the fourth, uh, when when Tyrese came in to replace Furcon. At that point, Tyrese came in and they were down 92-88. So that's a if my math is correct here, I'm gonna do a little more mental math about some basketball, but um that means they so there was 79-75. So they it was a nine, it was a 17-9 run there. Uh goes from yeah. up four and down four. Uh, and that and that was the game. And it wasn't like they were out of it or anything at that point. I mean, they took a lead shortly after, as you mentioned, and it was back and forth. But the, the Suns didn't, like, run away from it. But you, there are ways to control that, right? Maxi has proven to be at his best offensively without Joel. It doesn't mean he can't coexist or play alongside Joel. But when he gets to kind of play with a, a, a big man like Drummond, who sets the better screens than Joel, I'd say, and kind of rolls to the rim a little more, is a better lob third, even if he's a worse finisher. Um, he's thrived. And so it's just things like that that, um, really kind of did the, they kind of did them in this game, I think. And it's not to say that Doc was the only reason they lost by any means. Um, you know, there, there were other things that, that occurred, but that stretch felt really key to me when the Sixers, you know, had had that 14 point lead and was kind of coming down, but they were still in control a little bit. And but the tide is starting to turn. And then there's that, you know, that five minute stretch where you don't have any, either of your best, you know, creators in. Uh, and you have a two minute stretch where you don't really have anyone you want to trust with the ball as a ball handler. Even if Furcon can do it at times. And so, um, that just kind of felt like when, if you look back, that was the most impactful stretch uh, in terms of why the Sixers lost, even if they weren't out of it, you know, by the time that stretch finished. 
Yeah, Jackson, you mentioned a great game for Tobias Harris, especially in the offensive end, 30 points. I also had seven boards as well. Joel Embiid led the way, 34 points and, and 12 rebounds. But uh, you're, you're looking at this team, and just to be add this in as well, Seth Curry struggled mightily, one for nine from the field, hit a three-pointer eventually that actually uh, bought the Sixers back in it. But all that was all they got really from him. And, and you're looking at at uh, around the bench too. Not a lot of offense. I mean, it was a JaVale McGee had what? 15 points off the bench, which is five less than everybody that the Sixers had, the four substitutes that they had in the game. So like looking at this from what the Sixers did incorrectly on the offensive end, because I, I think defensively they were overall pretty good, held a very good Phoenix team in check most of the game. Although ultimately, I mean, Devin Booker is Devin Booker and he kind of took over. Uh, Mikael Bridges had a nice game as well, but you're looking at, you're looking at what the Sixers could have done because there was frustration boiling over. Like while I was watching this, I'm like, how are they not able to even move the ball or even get a foot, like even close to the paint on a numerous offensive possessions, especially towards the end of that game. And there were times where the Suns were kind of loading up and, and they had, you know, Joel had his, had his man on him on the block, but then they had, you know, whether it was a quarter front, half front or a full front, but they always had some help there under the basket. And you've mentioned this before that Matisse Thibel needs to be more of a threat from the three point line. He did both hit both of his attempts today, but what do you think doc rivers and the coaching staff could look at tactically to kind of, counter that move that some of the teams are doing, which is basically having a double team right there, ready to go as soon as Joel catches the ball. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like I said earlier, it was, it's, you know, we've talked about it on many podcasts. I feel like at this point is like any second Joel and B is not on the floor. Tyrese Maxey has to play. Like, it's just the reality. Like mm-hmm. he has to play. Like we, as I said, he's, he has shown an ability to be very, very good without Joel on the floor. We saw it in the Memphis game. We saw it in that stretch when Joel was out with COVID like he is just he is just a better on ball scorer than off ball scorer I think right now and Joel you know even though he's improved as a ball screen guy you know pick and roll big he's still not that's not where he's optimized but Tyrese is best with the high ball screen get downhill get to the floater you know get to the get to the pull up jumper get to the, the finish the rim all the different ways he can finish there um, and so you gotta just play him and you had, I don't think that happened I don't think there were very many minutes uh, today when when Maxi was on the floor without Joel. Um, in general, the Sixers are just short some ball handlers. I mean, they, they're going to have to upgrade, whether it's a guy like James Harden or someone else, they're going to have to make an upgrade, I think, if they want to make a seriously deep run in the playoffs. Obviously, they're still without Shake Milton, but I don't think Shake is the answer. I think Shake can be someone who would help, but it's not a guy that I want to rely on and be like, oh, that's going to be the difference between the Sixers having a capable ball handling roster and one that, you know, one that is shorthanded. So, um, but the easiest solution is just play, just play Maxie whenever – Whenever uh, whenever Joel's off the floor, and they had Seth out there a little bit, but Seth is a guy who plays really well with Joel for the most part. Um, but I think I think also you know Seth has missed some time, and I, I think I saw post game that that Doc said he's not 100 right physically. They, he had to convince the team to let him play in the second half, if I recall. Mm-hmm. It could be off, but I saw I want to say a Kai Carlin tweet that out post game. So and that makes sense too. I mean, Seth has been playing a ton of minutes. He's a smaller guard. They've asked him to do a lot offensively. Um, they tried to give him some rest, but you just got to figure a way to kind of reinvigorate him because he just hasn't moved that same, that kind of same level of electricity and energy. There was a, there was a stretch, I don't know if it was before or after Joel came back from COVID, but um, with that that two man game on you know on those they were on the Iverson cut and then a, you know kind of a pitch and catch with Joel was on lock and it hasn't felt as dynamic in the last couple of weeks. And so whatever reason for whatever reason that is, um, you know they got to figure out how to rectify that because that's also been you know something they've missed at times. Yeah, he's been banged up a bit too, and and so I I think you know if they can even shut him down maybe a game or two before the All Star break at the you know, the Boston and Milwaukee games that'll maybe give him some extra time to heal up, or if they look at it and say hey about a week 
of, you know, no contact, not really playing and, and, and getting some rest for his back. He's had some shoulder issues as well. Uh, I think that might do him some wonders because he hasn't been the same since he started missing that time. And, and you look at his scoring average, he was up around 17th uh, earlier in the season. That's dropped down now to about what, 14, 15 around there, that range. I don't have the number in front of me exactly. So he has been, hasn't looked the same since, but I mean, he is a key component in terms of what he can bring on the offensive end. Uh, Jackson, I want to ask you this too. Like, you know, I, we have, we talked about it. You know, it's, it's almost like the same old Sixers when they lose that this was a game really that was there for the taking and they've shown they can play against the upper echelon teams in the NBA obviously playing the Suns as tough as they did in this one we've seen them beat teams like Brooklyn we've seen them to beat teams like the Warriors uh Chicago they've, they've been pr pretty damn good against as well the Sixers have so looking at this like why do you think Doc has been so hesitant to to play Maxi when Joel's off the floor trying to figure out those minutes more like do you think it might be because he just likes the fit overall in terms of when those two are on the court together, or is, is, is there another reason why maybe you're looking at it and thinking, Hey, uh, doc might not trust, uh, um, Maxi with the second unit as much. Yeah. I, I think what it is, if, if I had to boil it down is doc is a guy is a coach who, you know, from my vantage point really gravitates towards uh, veterans. And I think for whatever reason, he doesn't trust Maxi to anchor those, those lineups and, um, that's kind of the rationale that I, that I would have to settle on if I, you know, I was you know, forced to give an answer, but I don't think that's a, a suitable rationale. I don't think it makes sense. Max, he's shown an ability to be like, he's your starting point guard for, for, you yeah, know, what else do you want from the guy, right? Right. Like, like yeah. if you, if you can't trust your starting point guard, a guy who's averaging, you know, close to 17 points a game on above average, you know, true shooting for the year. And a lot of his shots, you know, are self-created, like, what are we doing here? Right. We might as well start someone else. So. Um, and I'm not saying they're going to do that, but like the logic doesn't really hold up there. Like you should trust your starting point guard and second best shot creator to, to create shots when your best shot creators off the floor. That's kind of how usually offensive hierarchies play out. So that's, that's my read is he just wants to kind of tie Maxi to stable starters. Uh, I, I don't support it, but that that's what I would say. But again, it just, it, it really buries them at times. And there are other issues with the team. You know, the, the Suns did really well to exploit Tobias Harris off the ball defensively, getting Kel Bridges downhill, Mikel has such a good ability to kind of quickly rise over the top from mid range. And so that was something I went to at times, um, you know, Matisse was very good overall, but had some, some lapses. Joel was awesome offensively, but wasn't great defensive. I thought he had some, you know, consistencies there, even though he was also some flashes of brilliance, but um, the biggest reason is just, I think was that doc for a reason just doesn't put out optimal lineups and he's, he's hamstringing the team and he's hamstringing the team's second or third or fourth best player, or if you want to put Maxi on the list, he's somewhere in the two to four range with, with Seth, 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 with Seth and Tobias, I would say. Excuse me. Well, Jackson, I wouldn't be surprised. Let's just say he starts FERC, right? <laughs> One day over Maxi. It's like, what is he doing? Because I mean, I think the FERC experience needs to end as well. And I'm with you. I think Shake Milton, not maybe necessarily the best suited player for that role as in, as in running the second unit, but uh, is an upgrade to me over FERC. And so, I mean, that might be a thing they look at at the deadline, as you mentioned now, less than two days away uh, coming up on Thursday. Jackson, want to jump into a couple more things. Let's do that after a short break. All right. Uh, getting to the trade deadline, ton of chatter about the James Harden stuff. Again, we're hearing reports that the teams are like indirectly negotiating with each other. They're looking at trying to, you know, figure out if, if Harden really would want to leave uh, at the end uh, of the season in free agency, not like nothing really coming out that oh a deal is imminent or nothing really telling us that these these two teams are talking all the times uh, all the time. Part of me, so looking at this right now, like, do you how much smoke do you think there is to the fire that that a Harden for Simmons deal will get done before Thursday at three Eastern? Yeah, it's it's tough, man. I I don't know, especially I don't know for me too. Like sometimes I just miss those reports because they happen at like 
9 30 a.m east coast and i'm i'm not awake usually until 7 15 7 30 uh, west coast and so mm-hmm. i don't know i don't even know i have to i'll, I'll catch up on liberty baller slack and there's already been 47 messages before you know, <laughs> yeah. notifications turned off until like 8 a.m my time or something um so i i, I truthfully like I, i've read as much as i can but sometimes i just miss stuff but um it feels like a deal gets done. I mean, I could be off. I mean, like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets just refuse to, you know, fully engage because they're going to say we're trying to write it out. We're going to see if we can write the ship and uh, and figure it out because we have three very, very good players. And, um, you know, obviously one of them can only play you know, some of the time. Another one has been diminished, you know, from his MVP peak in, in Harden and then and, and Katie's injured. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, we're just going to try and write it out, see if we can figure, figure out how to, you know, write the ship and, who won a title, maybe that'll entice Harden to stay, but it just feels like it, there's, there's just so much smoke around this. Obviously we know that Maury and Harden, you know, have some sort of relationship. We know that Maury has previously pursued Harden. Um, and, you know, Ben Simmons for all of his faults as a player is not a bad return for a, you know, soon to be free agent who maybe has a foot, a foot, half, half a foot out the door. Um, and maybe whatever else you gotta, you know, whatever else players you gotta put in there to make it work financially. So, um, that's just my gut and kind of reading some of it, but it's, you know, again, I, I, maybe I don't know the full picture because again, this stuff seems to come out before I can even kind of, you know, get my wits about me in the morning. Well, Jackson, you got the full picture. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. I mean, I've even, I, I woke up this morning too, and I'm like, you're reading this stuff and it, it's kind of hard uh, not to be like, okay, at this point, like you remember this. And I was saying this during a live stream earlier that, that I did with uh, Dave early, who's a contributor for us at, at Liberty Ballers is. I'm looking at this like, okay, you remember like back in, you know, let's go back to August, September, uh, even into October when the season started, it was like, well, Dame Lillard, you know, let's keep an eye on that. If, if Portland struggles, obviously that doesn't look like that's going to happen. And then you had, Hey, maybe Bradley Beal, you know, that, that might be a potential target for them. We heard Tyrese Halliburton's name floated around, you know, nothing didn't seem like anything got too far there in negotiations. And then it was like this Harden thing just kind of, it was lurking in the background. I don't Mm -hmm. think anybody was paying attention to it. And now it's starting to look like, okay, there's just been more and more chatter. And you're hearing from some of the best NBA insiders in the business in terms of Shams, Ramona Shelburne, uh, Woj, obviously. So you're hearing a, a bunch of these people who are telling us that there is smoke to the fire, as well as Bleacher Reports' Jake Fisher, who we had on the pod a couple of weeks back. You know, he's been he's been on top of this as well. So you're, you're kind of looking at this like, okay, is this going to be a re- realistic possibility? And given the fact that the Nets got smoked Tonight, they lost by 35 to the Celtics or down 22 to two at one point to start. Obviously, no Kyrie Irving, no James Harden, no Kevin Durant. It was a home game for the Nets. But you're looking at this like if you're Sean Marks, how would you play this? Well, like you were saying, they have three top, you know, top 10, top 15, arguably talent in terms of with uh, with the big three. And you're looking at this. All right. We already went out this this far. We've given up so many assets to bring in Harden and making that deal with Houston that we got to kind of go for it and see what we have. If, if we can get all three in the court at the same time, or are you looking at this and thinking, man, we could, we can see these guys leave because we could see this guy leave in free agency because uh, Sam Amick of the athletic was saying, and he, he brought up a good point. Like what, what's a way that Philly can just sign Harden outright. And it's not too difficult of a path for Daryl Morey to be able to do that going into the summer as well. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, that's, so I think, you know, there, there's always kind of the sunk cost fallacy of things, right? Like you can't, at a certain point, you can't just say, you know, we devoted all of these picks and these pick swaps to Harden. We got to see, we got to ride it out, right? It doesn't, there's, there's a point where it doesn't logically make sense given maybe what could be available alternatively. Um, but as you mentioned too, yeah, like if, if Daryl and company knows that if I can trade James Harden for, you know, 
some guys that are on expiring deals or whatever, I can make room. And I mean, even if I trade Ben now for guys that aren't really of the caliber that I wanted, but it means I'm going to be able to sign James Harden, that probably changes things, right? Like you can get some pretty big leverage there. Um, you know, and so I, like I would, it's tough. I, 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 I never envy the life of an NBA executive. Um, it's too much stress for me. Obviously I'm sure you make a lot of money, but it's just more, more stress than I would ever want in my life. Um, but I really don't envy this situation because it's not just, it's not just Harden that could be gone in the summer. I mean, Kyrie Irving is a player option and I'm never, ever going to try to, and, you know, predict what someone like Kyrie Irving is going to do. He seems to be a very mercurial personality based on kind of what we know about him publicly. Um, but if he, if he's like, okay, I want to play, like, I don't, I don't want to do this part-time stuff. He could just decline his player option, sign somewhere else. And maybe, maybe the suitors aren't huge, but someone will want to sign him. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they could have Kevin Durant and a bunch of guys who make sense as the, as very much role players rather than the, the, the players they've been cast as, you know, with Harden and KD and, and Kyrie kind of been on the lineup this year and last year. Um, so I, I don't know if I really <laughs> answered your question because I don't really have an answer, but I, I, I would probably just trade for Ben Simmons because like, I mean, Ben has Ben. there are, there's already, there's still questions around Ben, but like, it seems like you can rely on him more than you could Kyrie Irving and also James, not even James Harden, but like just him being around beyond this, this summer uh, or this season compared to James Harden. So, uh, and again, Ben, you know, most of the time, all-star kind of an all-star mainstay the last few years as an all NBA appearance to his name. Um, they would have a decent amount of spacing, most likely. I mean, if you put you put Kyrie, Joe Harris when he when he's healthy, KD, maybe Lamarcus. I don't know exactly who you put at the five there. Um, it could work pretty well with you know Ben Dewis thing, but obviously you know some of that is Ben embracing being an off-ball guy. Um, we've seen him struggle in that role at times, but um, I would lean toward taking the you know the the Ben Simmons-centric package before Thursday, but. Maybe some of my biases in there because I would like to cover a team that has James Harden. I don't, I don't really care about how it affects the Sixers overall beyond me getting to cover a team deeper in the playoffs. But um, I don't think that Ben Simmons is a terrible contingency plan if if this first big three experiment doesn't pan out. Yeah, I think it. I, I think he'd be a good fit. Obviously, on the defensive end, he'd upgrade that team right away just just by mm-hmm. being traded for. And then, yeah, offensively, I mean, again, if 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 the Nets want to play a little bit more of a faster pace and you know get out on the on the break and try and run as much as they can, I think he fits fits their offense as well. And again, I'm saying this assuming that if Harden does decide to leave in the offseason. Uh Jackson, we'll wrap up with this. I just want to get your 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 thoughts on on again this this Harden thing because there is obviously some legs to it when we're hearing this from from literally every you know plugged in NBA media member. Uh, when you look at this, like if the Sixers are able to get Harden, do you think that immediately makes them the Eastern Conference favorite? That's that's interesting because I I do think like like I think this team. I mean, I've said it you know basically all year um, that I think this team is really really good. You know, with with someone in place of Ben, um, but I, I don't know what what Harden we're getting right. You know, it's you know he's had some stretches where he's looked very good. Uh, had some where he's looked very poor, both in terms of his ability to create separation offensively and commitment level defensively. But how much of both of those things are tied to him not wanting to be in 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 Brooklyn anymore? We saw a little bit of like we saw a similar thing unfold in Houston, right? Where he had a few great games early on, and then his trade request wasn't you know uh, acquiesced initially. He kind of got to a point where he didn't really give a damn. But um, I would I would lean toward. It's tough. You're putting me on the spot. I like it, but I would lean toward no, just maybe because I've covered the Sixers long enough to feel like 
they would still just be missing something maybe. I don't know. Like I just, I've, you cover them long enough, you get a little bit of kind of intrinsic pessimism about, about things. Um, but I, but I would have to think about it deeper and it would, it would also depend on what exactly the players that also go out with Ben, right. Is it, is it a player like Matisse? Is it someone like Danny green? Is it Seth Curry? Is it Tyrese Maxey? Which I don't think it's going to be given the reports that he's untouchable. I think there's been a couple of sources that have um, said as much about Maxey, but I would lean toward no. I still really like what the Bucks can offer, especially if they can get, um, you know, Brooke Lopez back. That's obviously up in the air. I like what Miami can do, but they have question marks still as well. Um, you know, the net, the, but the Bulls at full strength are, are excellent too, but they, they don't match up great with the Sixers. So I'd lean toward the field, but I wouldn't at all be surprised if, if that is proven faulty. Just one, one more quickly for you. When you're looking at the fit with with Harden in in Brooklyn, you know, like I said, you you could break the game down really well. Like, what, why do you think it has been a struggle for him? Because I've looked at this and, and said to myself, this guy needs obviously. And you look at where he was at his Haiti. I don't think he'll, he'll be there just in terms of his physical prime now compared to you know 2018, 19 when he was lighting it up for, for Houston. Uh, when you're looking at it, like he needs the ball in his hands. He's ISO heavy. Uh, you know, Brooklyn doesn't really want to play that way unless you got Durant or, you know what I mean? Like at the, at the top of the three point line, just killing his guy. Cause he's so great at scoring. Like why, why do you think it's been kind of clunky with, with Harden there in Brooklyn so far? Yeah. I mean, I think he just isn't the same level of athlete these days. You know, he's had, he's had that hamster injury that seemed to maybe still be an issue. I don't know if they're just holding them out because they might, they want to see what happens to the deadline or if he's actually kind of re-aggravated. I'm not trying to speculate either way, either way. Um, but you know, that, that clearly has hampered him. He's just like part of what made much of what made Harden so great was his ability to blend this, the, the great footwork handle shooting prowess and pretty good explosiveness off the dribble. And the explosiveness hasn't been there. The handle, I think for whatever reason, hasn't quite been there. Maybe that's because he's adjusting to a new level of athleticism. Um, but he just, he just hasn't been there. I mean, he's still drawing fouls at a ridiculous rate, you know, despite kind of a slow start in that regard, but, um, the jumper really hasn't been there. The ability to just get downhill whenever he wants, hasn't been there. Um, I, I don't think he'd be like, I think I feel that he is clearly not, um, like I, for whatever reason, I just, I just think we'd see a, a better version of him if he's traded to the Sixers. That's not me like trying to be some like Sixers Homer, but we've seen it mm-hmm. once. I feel like we can see it again because this is the, the James Harden we've seen the last two or three weeks is not the guy we saw you know, for a stretch when he's playing really, really, really well this year, not MVP level, but, you know, a guy who's still all NBA caliber player. Um, and so I think he'd be better, but at the same time, part of the reason he struggles is because the Nets don't have a consistent lob threat. Um, that's part of what made him so good in Houston for those, so many years, whether it was Clint Capella uh, and then obviously, uh, or Dwight Howard initially. And then when they went five, when they went four out around James Harden, um, you know, he had so much space and was so good, but um, now that he's not quite that level. He kind of needs a lob threat and clacks and hasn't been that to that degree. And then there are other big men are, Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, Paul Millsap before Paul Millsap, you know, I think, has agreed to a buyout maybe. Um, and the Sixers don't have that. They don't have really a, a lob threat. I mean, Drummond can do it at times, but he's not some dominant finisher. So um, I think it'd be better. Um, I, I see there's been issues. I, I feel pretty optimistic to be an all-star caliber guy, um, which I think he's kind of been on the fringe this year, but as of late, definitely not there. Um but I, but I, I don't know exactly what that looks like. It's just tough to know, you know, what exactly it would be. And as you mentioned, his fit isn't, you know, his fit isn't great with Embiid. I mean, the, like right, the version we've seen of Embiid versus Harden this year offensively, Harden is the guy who has to defer to Embiid. Previously, when we talked about it last year, it was vice versa, right? Like it was how would Embiid fit with Harden? Yeah. Now it's how does Harden fit with Embiid? So um, I'd be curious how that would go. You know, Harden's never been a guy who's embraced taking spot up threes. Um, the Sixers don't don't need more of those guys. Obviously, Harden's off the drill prowess 
or longstanding, maybe before this year, haven't checked the numbers originally would, would be better than anything else they've had. Um, but it would certainly be interesting to kind of see how they fit together. Um, I think Joel being a better off ball player than he's ever been, you know, offensively would help, but um, it would be hard in adjusting to Embiid rather than vice versa, which is kind of what we thought when Embiid, when Harden was linked to the Sixers last season. Yeah. And, and, and we've seen that a little bit where Harden had his, had a hard time fitting in with, with Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant. So again, maybe that would carry over to Philly, but either way, I, I think if you're able to get them and if it's a package, something like you're giving up Seth and, and Ben and, and maybe some future assets, I, I think the Sixers got to go for it again. I, and I'm only saying that because I think when you got Joel playing at this level, maybe you get into the two, three, four years out of him where he's playing out of his mind the way he is now. And I just feel like with the East being in the state that it's in, it might be time to go for it. Uh, Jackson, we'll wrap up there. Uh, thanks, as always, for joining us on the podcast. And uh, just so you all know, we're going to be doing some live stuff on NBA Trade Deadline Day. We'll be doing kind of a, a midway recap uh, preview for the back half of the, of the last few hours of the deadline. That'll be at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. And then we'll have some uh, podcasts coming at you as well uh, after 1 o'clock. So, Jackson, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to have you on uh, with, with us at least one of the live streams there. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to it. I mean, I'm... I'm sure there'll be at least one new player for, you know, for Sixers people and whatnot to talk about. I don't know if it'll be James Harden, but uh, I think Daryl's made pretty clear that they're going to make some sort of move, you know, even if it's not the guy. Um, but for Sixers fans, for their sake, hope, hopefully it is. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? We're looking forward to, to covering the trade deadline, and I'm looking forward to it passing with or without a Ben Simmons deal because a, if there is a trade, great. We can talk about how the new player fits in and we can also get into how the Sixers are going to look getting into the playoffs, or we're just not going to talk about Ben Simmons the rest of the season, right? Jackson. So that's a plus plus for, for, for all of us. Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> that's a plus. Hopefully, for hopefully the latter, obviously, or the former, excuse me, hopefully we get to see Ben Simmons playing again because for all of his issues, he's, he can be quite fun, but, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to a table that regardless in, uh, I think we're down to 40, 40 and a half hours. We'll call it here. There you go. Well, the, the better the better man at math than me. So thank you for, for doing that again, Jackson. Otherwise, I would make myself look like a jackass if I tried answering exactly how much time it was. Uh, that'll do it for this episode. Don't forget, as I mentioned off the top, you can subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network wherever you get your fix. And of course, always appreciate a five-star review if you're inclined to give us that. Uh, Paul Hudrick will be back with the Coming In for a Landing podcast on Wednesday. And then we'll have you covered wall-to-wall on deadline day as well. So don't forget to tune in on our Twitter channel as well. We're going to have our YouTube up and running as well if you want to watch us through there.